อันนี้จะสิ่งหนึ่งตัวสุดเลยโอ้คุณไม่เอาเลยที่นี่มันใช่เพื่อโอ้คุณไม่จะพบเห็นนะครับจะดูแลตัวโดยที่เราจะเสวนที่อันนี้ต่อแต่แค่ยังที่เอ็นเมย์ต่อไปต่อไปผู้เอ็นดูสิจักผู้ชอบเสด็จในอันที่สุดโลกสุดเดิมสุดไม่เอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟเอฟก็ชอบเอิร์ธในสิ่งเห็นเสมอเย่เอวรอกเสด็จตัวนี้เอสุนันโนติสเซนเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอ็นเอเอ็นเอเอเอเอเอเอเอาแต่ไหนทุกคนวุฒิวุฒิวุฒิเลยทานวุฒิวุฒิจอมเดบายนี่เป็นโอนเองนอกนี่เองออกดีแต่เวลาเอเอติดเสียเพื่อนทันวุฒิติดเสียเพื่อนติดเสียแต่เจ้าจะติดเสียเออสิ่งแห่งบัตรสวัสดิ์สิ่งสิ่งที่ท้ายเอาสิ่งที่สิ่งนักพัฒนาเราทุกคนเอ็ดีสักไว้สิ่งที่สิ่งที่ท้ายเราเวิร์ดบอลสิ่งที่สิ่งที่ท้ายเราเวิร์ดบอลเอ็ดีสักไว้ทีบนาสอาดีตแต่เยอะไว้สิ่งที่สิ่งที่ท้ายดูแต่โอนะครับโน่แค่เนื้อที่โม่เสียหัดโน่ที่ใช้ไม่รักเลยที่ผู้เชี่ยวชาญเสด็จไปที่นี่เอวุธารุ่นเองดูในขันสยามเสด็จผู้เชี่ยวชาญมาสิจ้ามาทำให้ฉันดูจะเข้ารับเสด็จที่เอ็นที่ว่ารู้นะนะ At change what was hard then, before at change what was in them. The citizenship was changed. And this is an act of God's regret. And of living it. The author of the change is God. It is He. Who receive them in His kingdom, and you can rest assured of this: eating in the land is not man. Every detail of the transfer is well laid out. There will be no mistakes found in all in which to start. Divine wisdom is at work. Divine power is in operation, and the transfer 
Christian and the district that through of divine justice. It is not something turning enough. We know, of course. But there are many who call pastors. False pastors, that is it. That says that a person belongs to a country to which he doesn't belong at all. And as far as this world is concerned, pastors can be forced into the kingdom of God in the sight of man. And the reference is to these in the previous verses. Many walked. And in as far as they were numbered with God's people, and considered to be citizens of heaven, it was to force pastors that they had entered the kingdom, even nominally. But in actual fact, and in the eye of God, there are no force pastors. Everyone who does have belonging to the kingdom of which he is a man, the country of which he is a citizen. And where do the citizens for God's kingdom or for heaven come from? They come from another kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness. They are introduced and they are created or, or given a place in the kingdom of God. Through the operation of God himself, through an act of free grace, the name has written indelibly in the record of its own. The name has written as citizens of heaven, and no one can erase their name from those letters. There is much that they themselves can do against themselves. There is much that they, their adversaries can do against them. But there is one thing neither themselves nor anyone else can do, and that is erase their from the book, the record of the kingdom in which they are settled as citizens of heaven. The first citizenship is in heaven. And this is not of our own making. It is not of our own endeavor. It is true. The grace. The unsearchable. The inexhaustible. Of the Lord God. Almighty. But being made citizens of the kingdom, legally, they themselves sign the document. That is, they are made willing in a day of God's power to be citizens of this kingdom. They are not prisoners. 
He obtained such liberty. Being given advice to all the privileges of the citizen. And the privileges of the citizens in our world is this. To serve the king in righteousness and holiness. For they have learned in some measure, in some degree, that he served his perfect freedom. They are not citizens against their will. It was against the will of the flesh, but it is not against the renewed will. And the desire every day to receive more and more open, stronger and stronger evidence that they are indeed citizens of heaven. Well, this is a fact, and it is on the fact, or on the privilege, that the emphasis is left. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now we go on to talk about heaven. And there's one thing in particular to say about it. And it was not strange to say that they themselves were on the way to heaven. That was true. But that is not what we hear. The absent is not on their going to heaven. It is contrary wise on what they expect from heaven, or rather, on whom they expect from heaven. And whom do they expect? The Lord, the Saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ. From whence? It is not heaven where we expect to see him, but heaven from which we expect him. And the original words are very impact. Out of which we await with expectation. The Lord, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are expecting something, or rather someone, from heaven. And that is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now in these days of apostasy, <coughs> we see many strange things. We read many of many strange things. The leaders in the church deny the cardinal doctrine of the gospel of Christ, such as the resurrection. And the latest, of course, is in connection with Christ's coming. <clears throat> and they displacently stated that the church no longer expects the coming of Christ. We have passed that stage. That was uh, an expectation indeed of the early Christians. But they knew very little. 
we who have made such progress in knowledge, in science, we no longer look for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the type of thing that we are interested in at all. So, some church leaders inform, how rich they say may be called the post-Christianism. That is in the church, he's referring to the church, the post-Christian, in that we do not any longer expect. Return of Jesus Christ, Jesus' word, to execute judgment on the living and on the dead. <laughs> of course, there were always infidels in the church, and those of it. Uh, but the difference today is that infidels speak out boldly. They declare their unbelief on the housetop, and they would range everyone else with themselves. But there is nothing new under the sun. There were always those who denied the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Peter tells us. That, was, that it was in special reference to this article of faith that the scoffers made themselves merry, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers, everything continues, conti everything continues as it was from the foundation of the world. Where is the promise of his coming? They thought that was an irrefragable truth that he wasn't coming at all. They made themselves with the Mary at the very thought. And let us face the matter. It is a thought that nothing but faith can accept. It is not easy to believe that the Lord Jesus is coming again to execute judgment on the living and on the dead. And to be quite explicit about it, it's impossible to believe it. But by faith, it is by faith we understand the words were created by the words, by the word of God. It is by faith we can receive the doctrine of God's judgment on the world through that man whom he has obeyed. And that he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. It is only by faith this can be received. There is nothing which natural knowledge can produce in favor of it. There are no scientific proofs of his coming. It has to be received by faith alone. And this is what was received in the church from the beginning. Since the angel said to the disciples from the mouth of Olive, the same Jesus whom ye have seen taken up 
zombies will return in like manner. And every eye shall see him. They also who pierce. It is an article of faith. And on this article of faith, the apostle here lays emphasis. We look for the Savior. That doesn't mean, of course, that the Savior was to become, was to come immediately. But it does mean that this should be, and more or less is, the attitude of the believer in Jesus. He looks for him from heaven. He believes in the second coming, not with all the trappings that have been attached to it by many religious sects, but in the fact of the fact itself, of the article of faith itself, he has no doubt. The Lord is coming. And coming when none knows. We await for him to come from heaven. But the next thing is this. It is the Savior who is coming. Oh, what a difference that means. It is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming and who is expected. Now it is beyond a shadow of doubt. But when the Apostle says, we await with expectation. He's looking forward to a joyful event. Something in which he rejoices. The expectation of which fills his heart with joy. How is this? God is coming to judge the world. And there are sinners in the world who can look forward to that event with joy. That requires explanation. What the explanation is in the world, it is the Savior. It is God as the Savior who is coming. It is He who is expected. It is He who has accomplished the work given to him. He who, who, who came first to seek and to save that which was lost. He is coming the second time without sin. He came the first time to put away sin. And that is why his coming can be looked forward to with joy that he has already come to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and the second time he will appear without sin unto the complete salvation of all it is the law the savior 
Christ who is coming. And then he tells us of what is going to happen at his coming. He will change. He will change everything. Everything will be changed for better or for worse at the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change. But what he is particularly interested in is the change he is going to bring about in what is here translated to vile body. And that's another word uh, that has uh, gathered an um, <coughs> unfavorable accession um, uh, since um, the 17th century. Well, what we mean by bile is something that shouldn't be touched, something that is uh, filthy in and of itself. It's vile. Well, that is not as a matter of fact what the apostle says at all. The words he uses are, who shall change the body of our humiliation. He shall change the body of our humiliation. The body which we now have in our present state. And the present state is that state of out humiliation. <coughs> that is as contrasted with the state of glory which is to follow. No, you cannot help but see <coughs> the analogy that is here drawn between the Christian and his master between the Christian and Christ. We read of Christ's humiliation and his humiliation in contrast with his ex Now, the body of our humiliation is different from the body of his humiliation. And it's different in this sense. That he was altogether sinless in his humiliation. And his exaltation was not one from a state of sin to a state of sinlessness. But that partly at least is what is true of the Christian. His exaltation is a transition from a condition of sin to a condition of sinlessness. He shall change the body of our humiliation. And the body is the, uh, the vehicle by which it is obvious that man is a sinner. And the reason is this, 
We can't be man through. All we can see of man is what is material of it, his body. And we judge of man by the movement of his body, for the simple reason that, all, that that is all we can do. We cannot penetrate his heart. We cannot see his spirit. And it is by the motion of man's body, whether you take that in thought, word, or, or at least in word or in deed, we cannot see the thought. In word or deed, it is by what men proclaim themselves to be by their words and their deeds that they can be judged by their fellow men. Now it is only to appear that while the citizenship of the believer is in heaven, and while we ought to live according to that citizenship, he is yet on earth, and he is yet sinful. He is yet to meet with death. Mortality is his poison. Weakness is his sin. That is how he is now. But this mortality or this mortality to put on immortality. This corruptible is to put on incorruption. And what a transition that is, a transmutation, a change from one condition to another. And this is going to take place when the Saviour, the Lord Jesus, comes from heaven to change the body of the humiliation of his people. And then we have the pattern of the change. And the pattern is his own body. It is to be changed in order to be fashioned life unto his glorious body. The body of his glory, the body of his glorified face, not even the body of his humiliation. While that body was sinless in a state of humiliation, as sinless as it is now in a state of exaltation. Yet there are proofs, possible, that there was a change in the body of the Redeemer. Not, not the same type of change as is to be in the bodies of his people, but yet a change from the body he had before his resurrection and the body he had after. It was the same body, the same yet changed. Twenty-two natures in the womb of the birds, 
offer her he took a body fitted for life on earth he was to live as a man for 33 years on this earth and the body he took was a body that corresponded or that fitted in with this life he was to live he was to live a body that could feel hunger and thirst a body that was weary a body that was subject to pain a body that could die or rather a nature that could die that, that applies to the body <clears throat> as to the soul a soul a body that could be separated if you want to exaggerate a body that could be separated from the soul but after the resurrection <clears throat> we are not given very many in in such of the nature of the change that i take the scriptures furnish us with abundant evidence for the conclusion that his body now was not meant anymore for life upon the earth it was a body that was ready and partly glorified to exist forevermore at the right time of the majesty on earth hence he could appear and disappear in a moment he could come in when the doors were locked of these we read nothing prior to his resurrection but we are given these things we are not given what would satisfy idle curiosity but we are given definite hints that there was a change in his body it remained a real body nevertheless circumstances be different the changes corresponded to the differences in the state now we just put the body of his glory Father, unto his glorious body, that the bodies of the saints are to be fashioned. It is after the pattern of the body of his glory that the, the resurrection body shall be what the apostle calls the same apostle as spiritual body. Now, I don't know what about you, but that is something of which I've never been able to form any idea. It is the, the resurrection body, a spiritual body. But if you ask me what is a spiritual body, all I can say is I don't know. The one thing I do know is it will still be a body. A real body. But a spiritual body. So what is a spiritual body? I am sure I don't know. But it is the spiritual body is fashioned according to the body of Christ's glory of Christ's glorious body what a change 
<clears throat> when you think of the human body now with all its aches and pain, it is heir to every misery. When you think of it in its weakness, in its mortality, in its corruptibleness, and then think of that same body fashioned according to the body of Christ's glory. And it is better thought of than spoken of. Well, might we ask the question when we consider that contact? How can this be? How can this body be fashioned according to Christ's glorious body? Who can do it? Well, the apostle has the answer. It is according to the working whereby he is able. That is the answer. He is able. According to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Who brings this change about? He does. He who is able. Able to subdue all things. And what are the things that must be subdued? corruption and death itself. It is when the last enemy is destroyed, the last enemy which is death, that the word shall be fulfilled. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He is able. Only Almightiness could bring this about. And Almightiness has pledged itself to bring it about. He is And if this is not brought about, if we could for a moment imagine the possibility, that this would not be brought about, then the stain, the reflection for not bringing it about would be entirely on him, for man has nothing to do with this at all. It is God who is able. And he has pledged his ability, his almightiness, to do it. And that is the warrant of him, the word of him who cannot lie, and the word of him for whom nothing is impossible. According to the word whereby he the word of him who cannot lie, and the word of him for whom nothing is impossible. 
according to the working whereby he is able. <coughs> now it would it'd be interesting and instructive if you if we all could think just for a moment of uh, some of the references we have to this um, uh, to this uh, uh, statement. He is able. For instance, where do these words appear? Well, they appear in various places. For instance, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. He is able to keep you from falling and present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able. <coughs> and on this the apostle rested and he, needed, he, he did not look for any further confirmation of what he has just said. It will be, the body will be fashioned like the body of his glory because he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And then the salvation of the church will be complete. This is the consummation which the Savior had in view when he endured the cross, despising the shame, that he would save them, body and soul, in the totality of, his, of their personality, to be like himself, to enjoy himself, to have communion with himself, words and therefore we look we look forward to the appearing of the Savior from heaven but while it is a glorious uh, <coughs> advent for such as are here referred to it is indeed the beginning of the, of the total misery of the unbeliever. As it is the beginning of the total place of the faith, it is the beginning of the total misery of the believer. And the question for us all is this. On what side we shall be found in the day when he will appear in flaming fire with his mighty angels, taking vengeance on those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that same day in which he shall be admired in his faith. This is the day of salvation. This is the accepted time. And the word comes to us. Give more diligence to 